Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Maru Farfakri, or Maru Fakhri. Um, he's a project lead in the VR section of Labster. Maru, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good. Yeah, thanks. So tell me about uh, Labster. What, uh, what do you guys do, and then what specific work are you doing there? Um, so Labster is a, a Danish company um, based in Copenhagen in Denmark, and uh, we're primarily a company that's um, trying to change science education and the way people engage with science, both um, at school, at university, and then in general. Um, the, the vision of the company is actually to kind of empower the next generation of scientists to change the world. That's kind of at the core of what we do. Um, and the company itself is sort of made up of scientists, educators, uh, people who are generally kind of enthusiastic about science and the difference it can make on improving lives. And um, I mean, we, we think technology has a big place to play in um, delivering the best learning experience, particularly uh, for right. students. So our mission really is to kind of leverage the technology to support science teachers to kind of evolve their craft and, and support student learning in general. Well, what have you found are good ways to teach science versus uh, ways that aren't very effective? What's, what's new in your guys' approach? I mean, it's, it might sound kind of uh, counterintuitive, but especially because Labs just sort of delivers digital experiences, but we do find that kind of the hands-on interactive experiences are sort of the most powerful. Um, I mean, the product itself is kind of a, a virtual laboratory, so it's designed to allow students to do experiments that are sort of uh, highly interactive, that are either too expensive or maybe too dangerous or time-consuming to perform in real life. So this kind of virtual environment lets them blood sample then go into a... Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Maru Farfakri, or Maru Fakhri. Um, he's a project lead in the VR section of Labster. Maruf, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good. Yeah, thanks. So tell me about uh, Labster. What, uh, what do you guys do and then what specific work are you doing there? Um, so Labster is a, a Danish company um, based in Copenhagen in Denmark. And uh, we're primarily a company that's um, trying to change science education and the way people engage with science, both um, at school, at university, and then in general um, the, the vision of the company is actually to kind of empower the next generation of scientists to change the world. That's kind of at the core of what we do. Um, and the company itself is sort of made up of scientists, educators, uh, people who are generally kind of enthusiastic about science and the difference it can make on improving lives. And um, I mean, we, we think technology has a big place to play in um, delivering the best learning experience, particularly uh, for right. students. So our mission really is to kind of leverage the technology to support science teachers to kind of evolve their craft and, and support student learning in general. Well, what have you found are good ways to teach science versus uh, ways that aren't very effective? What's, what's new in your guys' approach? I mean, it's, it might sound kind of uh, counterintuitive, but especially because Labs just sort of delivers digital experiences, but we do find that kind of the hands-on interactive experiences are sort of the most powerful. Um, I mean, the product itself is kind of a, a virtual laboratory, so it's designed to allow students 
to do experiments that are sort of uh, highly interactive, that are either too expensive or maybe too dangerous or time consuming to perform in real life. So this kind of virtual environment lets them blood sample, then go into a um, lab and analyze that blood sample and apply it to, say, solving a murder mystery. So it kind of gives them this context for the lab experience, which is quite engaging. At the same time, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, so it kind of gives them a mix of experiences. And then the, I think the great thing about um, the digital or the, or the virtual laboratory is that you can actually dive into a cell and, and watch kind of the, the machinery of the cell take place or, you know, go even further awesome. to the level. And I think that is really quite a powerful experience for students. It really engages and motivates them um, to, to, to learn more about science and to actually understand why science is useful and how we kind of investigate different things. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, in uh, Las Vegas, they had a CSI exhibit, and I took my son and my friend and his son, and the kids got to like look through microscopes and you know yeah. take fake hair samples and analyze them. It was really cool. And I remember going to school. You know, I always wished for more hands-on stuff and more visualizations in what we were doing because you learn a lot better that way. You know. Yeah, I think it helps unpack kind of very abstract concepts. And uh, I guess one of the big challenges in school and, and now more and more in kind of community colleges and, and indeed at universities is um, it's quite expensive to run some of these experiments and, and keep these labs maintained. They're super important, uh, but, but quite frankly, like not everyone has access to a lab, uh, the physical environment to be able to go and, and do these experiments. Sometimes you have to go to yeah a, a conference or an event or an um, exhibition where you can start to, to look at some of these expensive equipment. But in this way, we kind of can bring it into a, a student's grasp, so to speak. So your premise is to use virtual reality to be able to recreate these experiences without the expense and the, the chemicals and the, the dangers and all that stuff? Exactly, yeah. It's kind of fun doing stuff that's dangerous, right? But uh, unfortunately, and probably for very good reason, it, it gets banned at schools and, and universities because there's a high risk, obviously, associated with it. But, you know, in a, in a virtual lab in, in, in VR or even... Um, through a, a web browser, which a lot of our students access our virtual labs through, you know, you can blow things up. You can expo explore an experiment. You can fail, uh, which is a huge part of scientific endeavor is to, to fail. Mm. I mean, most grand discoveries happen through by accident and, and often through um, heavy amounts of failure. And I think in our education system, we are uh, afraid of of failure in a sense as well. And I think being able to encourage students to be able to try and make mistakes, try again, you know, they can repeat an experiment a hundred times if they want to and, and potentially get different results as they go in a virtual environment. But that's almost impossible to do in the kind of the real lab. Yeah, and kids like to repeat stuff, especially when they're at younger ages. I think it's because they, they can gain more mastery of it. You know, they'll watch movies three, four, five times, they'll, they don't mind repeating stuff. You know, they get a lot out of it. So that's great, too. Yeah. I can see how it caters to kids, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, it's also, we're trying to kind of divert away from the kind of the test-type mentality where you have kind of one chance to get things right and that's it. You know, we want students to be able to master the content, to, to practice, repeat it, um, and feel really confident when they then step into a real lab, whenever that might be. Um, you know, they know that they know that they're they're comfortable in that environment. They know what to do, and I think that makes a big difference in their engagement, kind of after the actual virtual experience. Yeah, definitely. Well, tell me about some of the um, I don't know if you call them modules or scenarios or you know what do you call um, a given setting 
let's say you do a I, crime scene thing, you know, is it a scenario or what's it called? Yeah, I guess we'd call them a, a scenario or a case study. Um, each, each of the different labs has kind of a, an introduction scenario, you know, the crime scene or they may be cleaning up a waterway with, and working with an engineer, um, a chemical engineer, for example, or investigating a patient. So we set up the scenario and then, um, you know, there, there might be chem a chemical spill uh, in, in the chemistry modules or um, they might be trying to help a photographer get better um, resolution on their, their cameras or, or take better photos using physics. Um, so it sort of depends on the, the context, uh, but we like to give them that, that scenario so that they're feeling like they're applying the, the science to something um, important um, to, to somebody. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, work, work with cancer cells, uh, work with patients, um, and, and, and various other um, contexts. And then they, they sort of enter the lab after that, that scenario. They'll go through a series of experiments, you know, learn about the different concepts, actually do the experiments as well. Um, they're also questioned along the way. So they, we're trying to reinforce the learning as they go by giving them um, quizzes, uh, just simple questions to, to ensure that they've sort of mastered the content to that point uh, before they can then move on. Uh, and then, so they work through that scenario, they work through the, the science experiments, and then they apply that, what they learn, uh, back to the original case. You know, they might be able to write, um, you know, go back to the patient and say, we, we know what's, um, what's wrong with you, or, um, you know, pre present the DNA um, findings to the, uh, you know, in court or to the, to the investigator. So they really get this full cycle of, you know, science as, as, as the applied um, context. Where, where do these uh, scenarios happen? Do schools license them? Um, do exactly. people use existing technology like Oculus Rift or how do you get access? So there's two, I guess Labs has two main product lines. Um, we, we sort of deliver the experience through a web browser. So anyone with a, you know, a Chromebook or a, or a simple laptop that has access to a browser and an internet connection, it can be Chrome, Firefox, Safari, um, not Internet Explorer. Um, but any, anyone with a browser can then jump on the, the web on a computer, on a laptop and access the simulations in a 2D uh, sense, um, which is still very engaging. We have a lot of research that shows that um, working on a, on, a, on a tablet or a, or a computer can be um, quite powerful if the experience is, is engaging enough. Um, and then we're now releasing, and, and you may have seen our, um, the announcement that Google made at, at Google I.O. this year, um, some virtual reality specific content. Um, that will be within biology, uh, and, and that will be accessible through the Daydream platform. So anyone with a, a Daydream device, um, you know, a Pixel phone and a Daydream headset, or the new standalone headsets could go to the App Store, the Google Play Store, and download some of that content uh, later in the year. Oh, very cool. So what are, what are some of the modules out there that are the most popular or the best, the most well-received? Yeah, it's, it's funny. We, we see um, a lot of content. And, and this is, I think, part of uh, an education trend that there's a lot of crossover between upper high school and first year university where content sort of overlaps a little bit. You know, they come out of high school and, and universities want to refresh content. So the content that sort of is in that range is usually the most popular because both teachers at school can use it to prepare students and then universities can use it to refresh. So it can range from um, cell and molecular biology topics like cellular respiration or um, basic safety is always needing to be recovered. Um, some microscope work, uh, carbohydrates, 
learning about antibodies, a lot of stuff with body, and then like uh, cell culture techniques and bacteria uh, investigation. Uh, so it does vary. And then we have chemistry stuff, titration, you know, there's some experimental design uh, uh, labs as well, which focus more on the, the kind of um, yeah, the, how you design an experience. Uh, we look at bonding as well. Ionic and covalent bonds is a very popular topic in both high school and then again in university. Um, so quite abstract again. Um, so these visualizations and interactivity really help. Um, so those kind of uh, we see are, are quite popular at both K to 12 and university. Oh, what are some surprises and insights that you've gotten from doing this work that you didn't expect in the beginning? Yeah, it's interesting. So we've got a lot of academics that kind of look into what is the actual effect of um, using these simulations in the curriculum and how does it improve or not um, the learning experience. I think one of the biggest surprises was uh, the first study we did showed uh, almost almost twice the learning um, output by using a simulation compared to traditional techniques. I mean, we knew that using this type of experience can really improve learning. We just didn't really know how much by it. And what we found, uh, it was a study published in Nature Biotechnology that um, there was a 76% increase of learning um, as measured by a, a, you know, a standard test um, it, by using a simulation versus you know, more traditional methods, methods of lecturing, group exercise and those types of things. So that was quite a surprising um, uh, discovery. That's huge. Yeah, that's not yeah. like five, 10%, that's like, that's crazy. What was this only after students repeated uh, the experience, or was it just the first time through? No, it was the first time through. Yeah, so they didn't. That's they crazy. They weren't actually repeating it as well. Yeah, so it's a massive increase, and that's actually that was a very early study, about uh, I would say four years ago. It was done. Um, now what we've seen is kind of we've investigated uh, motivation, engagement, and various other factors, and not surprisingly, we see a similar sort of trend. One thing that was most recent that's very surprising initially uh, was when we started uh, converting some of our simulations to virtual reality. Now, there's not a lot of research into the actual learning value of, of doing an experience in VR. Um, and when we first, uh, when we first uh, released the VR lab and we did some research on it, we actually found there was no increase in learning um, as opposed to using the, the virtual labs on a computer. Now, ordinarily, you would say, you look at that study, first of all, it was surprising. We thought VR would be much more engaging and, and more, you know, um, have, have a higher impact on learning. Um, mm. But it, what, what we found was there was a, kind of a cognitive overload. Um, the, the students were oh, so okay. you know, so involved in it and, and trying to process so much that actually um, it sort of, it, it slowed the, the or, or lowered the impact of that experience. So out of that... Well, you know what's... Lot, you yeah. know, it's another way to think about it is um, if I'm learning, I don't know, a lab experiment in real life and I'm in the lab and I'm remembering my experiences back in college, like, mm -hmm. you know, there's people around me. I may be worried, like, what do they think of me? You know, I'm trying to be able to see maybe they're standing in front. I mean, all kinds of physical things, you know, maybe my legs are tired and I want to sit down or something like that. But if you're on a computer and then you're learning, I bet you that's why the learning, it's not 100 percent, but. I bet you that's partially why the learning experience increased because it strips away a lot of the non-essential things that would get in the way of learning, is I guess. Yeah, and I think what, what we found in VR is we had too much in there, the same as you would have too many distractions within you know, another environment. So what we had to do from that learning is, is sort of you start to strip away some of the distractors. 
within VR and allow students to focus more on, on, on the hands-on component of it because they were much more, um, you know, they were involving themselves a lot more in the experience. So we've now sort of redesigned our, the, the experiences to be more suited to virtual reality where there is a lot more stimulation going on. It's very immersive. Um, we, they call it presence, having this like feeling that you're actually there. And as soon as you feel like you're actually there, then you are kind of very stimulated and engaged. And so we, we take the, the advantage of that and then sort of strip away some of the, the distractions and, and then use v virtual reality what it, for what it's actually good for, which is, you know, that engagement, that feeling of presence and immersion, and then guide the students uh, and let them explore in the right ways in that environment. So it was a very positive study in the sense that we learned an awful lot um, we, we were just very surprised by the initial results. Well, all right, a couple of questions. So when you stripped away distractions and all that, and you made the VR experience optimized, did it return to the same learning boost or is it still lagged behind or did it get even better? Unfortunately, we don't know yet. So we are, we're doing this study okay. now. Um, the academics are in, investigating it. Um, what we know from the research is that it, we, we would expect that the learning would be uh, increased now that we've sort of optimized for VR. But you know, we're going to, I have a feeling what we'll see is we'll see a, a return to some good boost in learning, but we'll need to continually learn, you know, how to optimize the experience more and more um, as we go. We, we will be, um, we're rolling out some virtual reality labs into a, um, a class in the US in the fall, um, integrated into a curriculum. Um, you'll hear more about that in August, but at the same time, we'll be investigating, you know, what is the real um, additional learning impact and comparing that to kind of previous studies. Hmm. Um, can you talk about any of the elements that you found was necessary to strip away? I mean, I know you're still testing this theory, but hmm. was there anything that jumped out at you that was obvious? Like, oh, I see. This is like, yeah, this is distracting. Or this is probably getting yeah. in the way of the learning. Yeah, was, I mean, a lot of the reading, to be honest. I mean, read, you, you, people are so used to reading on a computer that we had a lot of, um, uh, you know, additional theory and longer questions and things that were embedded in our web-based simulations. But as soon as we moved them to VR, we, we actually realized that maybe we don't need so much um, reading and background material for them. We can actually let them do a little bit more and, 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 and learn by that way. So we took away a bit of the, the, the text-heavy components. And to be honest, that should have been obvious as well. But you know, when, you're, when you're embedded in these things, it's hard to see the obvious sometimes. Um, you know, adding, adding voiceovers, uh, for specific components of it, um, you know, different sorts of instructions that, again, didn't require necessarily reading. Um, little things like that sort of helped us tweak and optimize the experience to focus on, or let the students focus on actually doing something um, and, and kind of looking around and, ex and exploring the environment themselves. Well, what about learning styles? You know, there's visual, auditory, kinesthetic, that kind of stuff. Do you feel like you're catering to one or another, or maybe the nature of VR itself um, silos people and and uh, helps only visual learners more or kinesthetic learners more. No, I think there is um, it, there's a nice balance, uh, and we we are conscious of you know what how people prefer to receive information and and, and learn. Um, you know, there's a mix of the hands-on component, and there's the the animations, and the, the there is text and reading, and and there's embedded theory that. Someone, a student could actually access if they want to read more. We just don't force them to. So, uh, you know, uh, you can repeat experiments and revisit animations as well if, if you're more uh, inclined to, to learn that way. I think there, there's a lot of a lot more variety actually available within VR, a lot more choice uh, to kind of choose the learning the learning path that you'd like. Mm, okay. 
so this is available for um, universities and uh, and high schools. Is it available for homeschoolers or like individuals that would want to purchase modules or curriculum from you? Absolutely, anyone. I mean, we just recommend for you know the age age group being kind of the upper upper K to twelve, mostly because we've designed the content for those subject areas, um, and then and then high and then university. But you know, we have homeschoolers around the world that might uh, use some of the advanced content for even their younger students because they you know they're, they're a little bit ahead of the standard curriculum um so yeah it's, it's it's available for anyone and they can just go to our site and um or reach out to us directly and um and, and get access that's very cool have you um tried to tried to make any of these uh, modules into games more than others and does that seem to work better well i mean we consider the, you know a lot of the elements that we put in um elements of gamification so we do think that these simulations are more game-based you know it's a first person um, perspective. It almost feels like you're, you know, it's a first-person shooter game, or, or um, um, you, you know, those types of um, games, which which really do allow the student to get more engaged. So we have, you know, we 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 think we've added the, the elements of gamification that are really valuable for the learning experience and for the age group that we're targeting. You know, we don't want it to seem uh, not serious because the some of the work they're doing is very serious, um, but. Uh, you know, we have taken elements of gamification. I mean, like these these narratives and stories, which really drive the experience. Um, and we we hope we've got the balance right. And it seems like from the feedback that we get um, from students, you know, they say this is the best thing that's happened to our course, or wow, I feel it felt like I was really there and, and immersed. You know, it's that that type of feedback sort of helps us reinforce the the elements of uh, of game based learning that we've put in already. Okay, very cool. Um, any uh, modules that, that you've tried that for some reason are not working or ones that, that work better than others, far better? Um, yeah, so we do find, um, you know, we collect d data as the student goes through the learning experience. Every kind of action they're taking, although it's completely anonymous, is, is sort of a thumbprint of their learning experience. You know, did they, um, did they run into trouble here? Did they get stuck? How long did they get stuck for? Did they read the instructions afterwards? You know, so there's a lot of data that gets generated, and from that we can sort of um, start to sort of kind of internally rank our simulations based on how user friendly they are, how um, you know how well do people do in the in the quizzes that are presented to them, you know how often do they get stuck, how long do they take, and things. So we use that data to sort of rank them, and then we tweak the experience based on on that to try to find the most optimal way of delivering it. So some of the you know, so, uh, we, we hope that all the simulations kind of are giving that ideal experience, but a lot of our older um, simulations, we have over 70 of them now um, that have been developed over the last five years. So there's a huge catalogue. So some of the older um, content uh, may not fully be embracing some of these, um, the things we've learnt in, um, through this data, but uh, we're, we're constantly kind of going back and revisiting a lot of those um, older labs. And what uh, subjects do you have modules for? You said you got seventy. Like, what do they what what do they cover? Um, so b broadly, they cover kind of biology, chemistry, engineering, uh, medical sciences, and physics. Uh, primarily, though, I would say we have a lot of biology uh, as, as kind of I'd say seventy five percent of the 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 group of content. Mostly because um, you know the company was founded by a biotechnologist. So we started, the natural place starting point was, was biology um, and, and biotechnology and biochemistry and these types of things. Um, and then we sort of expanded that set of content till we thought we had enough for a teacher to be able to go in and find something that will be relevant for their course and, and, and be engaging for their students. So 
biology kind of expands out to biochemistry, biotech, molecular biology, even some ecology and you know evolution, genetics, um, and then we kind of have more broadly a few simulations around chemistry, um, engineering, some some physics, um, you know wastewater treatment, um, light light and polarization, and these types of things, and then um, some stuff in medical sciences, you know medical genetics, Parkinson's, diabetes, and things. So yeah, it's it sort of it does it is quite broad. We're, I mean we're constantly expanding those. Um, other areas outside of biology. Any big demand for a certain area? You know, what about music or uh, I don't know, other areas that people really want? Yeah, it's funny. We actually get requests all the time when people see the the, the impact it has in kind of a, a, a STEM-based course or a science and an engineering-based course. They're like, oh, can you do this for you know, music or, or do something in art? Yeah. I mean, as a, as a company where we're really focused on on the sciences at the moment. Um, obviously, we're a, we're a young company as well. We're um, now 100 people and five years old. You know, we've we've really had to focus on a, the areas that we're where we're very passionate about. Um, and so we see a lot of within those areas demand for uh, chemistry, especially because uh, chemistry labs are increasingly getting more expensive and um, and difficult to do a lot of the experiments. The the equipment is um, very expensive to maintain. Um, and it's it's super exciting. Like people don't want to cut chemistry out and these these kind of experiments out of the curriculum because they they're very um, engaging for students in general. So we see a lot of demand within the sciences in, in chemistry, engineering for sure. Um, the engineering as a discipline has used simulations for um, longer than I think than any other. Uh, maybe medical sciences would be equivalent. So they're very used to using this type of tool. So they've asked us a lot for for more. Uh, content and then um, yeah it sort of it does vary we we try and we try and focus down but I think in the future we can we can definitely expand the the work we've done into pretty much any discipline I think history I mean imagine um, going to you know traveling to the pyramids uh, in Egypt uh, in present day and then uh, you know winding back the clock and watching the the entire environment around you change um, as you go back, you know, 200, 500, 1,000 years into history or more, uh, 3,000, 5,000 years, and being able to really, like, get a sense of how yeah, that'd be cool. areas evolved. So I think that'd be super awesome to, to be able to start to build learning content like that. Right on. Well, very good. So what's the best way for uh, students, schools, you know, homeschoolers, et cetera, to find your content and, and engage with it? To be honest, you just jump on our website. It's www.labster.com. Um, and then from there, it's, it's, it's really just a couple of clicks away from, you know, starting to try the content um, straight away. And then, you know, if you want to um, uh, use it with your students or, or homeschoolers, they can um, just go click on our simulations, choose a lab. And, you know, imme- immediately there's, a, there's different options to kind of purchase uh, license access for it. Well, very good. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. This, is, uh, this has been really great. My pleasure. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.